Welcome to the Raise the Roof, Remove the Walls podcast. Andy and Joe here with you again. Hey, guys. Hey, hey Passage. It's really well. We've got a verse here, but, you know, well, I'm sure we'll get into some more of the passage as we're going. Uh, but Second Chronicles 714, um, it's pretty well known, but I'm going to read this to you anyway. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven i will forgive their sin and will heal their land so this one this verse always has special meaning for me uh when i was in college we had a worship time that that we did that was called 714 um named after this verse because this is what we wanted to do we got together and prayed and saw god's face together it was it was good time but i do another podcast uh with a friend of mine it comes out at 7.14 a.m. every Friday in honor of our time at 7.14 in college. So this verse is, is constantly kind of in the periphery for me. It's always there. So we're going to talk about this one. So I'll let you uh, take it away there, Pops. Well, let's look at the context. You're talk- talking about passage because I think it's important to see the context of this. Because in 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 Second Chronicles 6 and 7, we're seeing the dedication of the temple. And in in Second Chronicles seven twelve, um, Solomon goes to God and and basically asks God to listen when the people pray to him. And in verse thirteen, God says He will, but there are some conditions that we kind of need to meet to have our prayers heard and thus answered. And in seven fourteen, God then gives the people what we're to do. And I, I look at this as phrases. Um, it's a verse, but it, it almost carries the weight of a passage to me because the phrases in this are, are, I think, so important to understand. And he starts out by saying, if my people who are called by my name. So, first of all, this is not a verse that the world can claim. This is a verse spoken directly to God's people. And to me, it's, we first of all, before we do anything else, we need to acknowledge that we belong to God. He owns us. Um, I don't think a lot of people like that concept. Well, you know, I, you know, particularly as American Christians, we are so focused <laughs> on independence. You know, well, it's it's a personal relationship with God. Yes, it is, but in that personal relationship, there is a corporate aspect of it, and we need to acknowledge that we belong to God. He owns us. I mean, in 1 Corinthians 6.20, he says, you were bought with the price. You're not your own. You're to glorify God. So Jesus paid the price of our sins, so we literally belong to him. I mean, and, and particularly the book of Romans, I think, shows us we either belong to God and are servants of his, or we belong to the enemy, Satan, and we're serving him. Now, I know there are a lot of people who, oh, I would never serve Satan. Well, if you're not serving God, that's who you're serving because there's not a choice. I know we make it in our culture today like, well, it's about me. I'm going to serve myself. I'll never forget, I did a, uh, I did several weddings over the years, as you have, for kids that were in our youth groups over the years. And I did this one young man in our youth group, and, and the like, young lady he was marrying wasn't part of, of our church, but she and her parents went to another church, and in talking to her, I felt like, okay, she's got a relationship with Jesus, but a couple of years into their marriage, she leaves, 
She just packs up one day while he's gone and leaves. And she leaves him a note. I went to find myself. And I'm thinking, you don't find yourself by leaving commitments or whatever. You find yourself in the relationship with Jesus. And to me, when he starts out this verse, that's what he's saying. If my people who are called by my name, so if I claim the name of Christ, then I belong to him and I need to live my life and and see myself as belonging to him. Yeah. And 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 like you said, we we definitely we we uh we bristle a little bit at that idea of being owned by God, you know, because we are we are very, especially Western thinkers, we are very, very independent. We, you know, like, oh yes, I, you know, believe in God and I want to follow God, but it's like we have this this option at any time we can go do whatever we want. Um, you know, that as long as I'm choosing that, we're going to do and, and well, I mean, yes, you do, because God allows us to do that. Not that we deserve that, but that's not the attitude we're supposed to have about it. You know, when Paul talks about himself, um, we we might be able to get on board when Paul calls himself a servant of God like that. that there's some prestige. There's some good feeling when if we say I'm a servant of God. But when we say I'm a slave of God, as Paul often calls himself, then then we're kind of not as comfortable with that idea. And yet that's the attitude that we're called to that like, no God, it's all yours, whatever you want, wherever you want, when, you know, it's all yours. I completely belong to you. My whole life is defined by you, by who you are and by who you say I am. And we bristle at that. And yet there's this incredible freedom in that. There's this incredible identity that we find there that like, no, I don't have to figure all that stuff out. I don't have to carry all that weight. I can give that to, you know, when God talks about casting all our cares upon him, this is part of what he means is that like, no, I'm, I'm going to tell you who you are. I'm going to, you know, trust me. That's, that's what happens at the fall is that Adam and Eve choose not to let God be all of that. They go, no, we want to decide some of that stuff ourselves. So we're going to eat this, um, you know, and that, that's the root of our sin is that we don't bow before God is that we yeah. don't acknowledge that he is greater than us and that we, we belong to him and we should follow him and trust him totally and completely. Uh, we like to trust God. Mostly we like to trust God some, <laughs> but trusting all giving up all that control. Uh, well, can I keep a little bit of this? Can I have some backup plans? Can, you know, that's why well, and, and and logically, we're told to do that. You know, we're not supposed to put all our eggs in one basket, right? Like, and we have all kinds of little sayings that say, don't do this. You know, diversify your portfolio, whatever that means. I still don't know. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I don't have a portfolio. I don't have to diversify anything. Um, not true, but, you know. Uh, but that's not that's not who God tells us to. God says, no, put it all in me because you can trust me because I'm going to come through because I always come through because every promise I've ever made, I've kept. And so, no, put it all here, 100%, you know? Um, yeah. And we do that because we belong to him. That's what it looks yeah. like yeah. to be yeah, people called by his name. There, there are a lot of people who want to be sort of committed to God, like in the Princess Bride, was sort of dead, yeah. mostly dead. They want dead. a hyphenated last name with God. They don't, they, <laughs> I belong to God slash, you know, like, no, you just, you just belong to God. Yeah. And then, then he kind of follows that up with, with I think, a connected thought where he says, humble themselves. We're to humble ourselves. Um, we're to humble ourselves before God, first of all. And First Peter 
five six, which you made reference, I think, to First Peter five seven a while ago about casting your anxieties. But first, he says that we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that the that we then can cast all those cares, anxieties, or fears upon Him. But to me, the two verses that really speak about being humble is First Peter five five and James four six, which basically say the same things. You know where we're told that God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. So if we don't humble ourselves before God, then we're priding ourselves before God. And he opposes the pride. And we want grace. We don't want to be in opposition to God. You know, uh, I think the worst thing that we can experience in our lives is when we're in opposition to God. Because number one, that makes us wrong all the time. When we oppose God, we're never going to be right because he's always right. That means if I'm opposing him, what is right, I'm I'm in wrong. And we're going to lose. <laughs> we're not going to win. You know, <laughs> um, there's no way. So and I think a lot of people see humble as I've got to give up the rights to who I am. But like you said, if we know that we're God's people, that defines us. So I don't really I'm not really giving up rights. I'm getting blessings. But I think a lot of people see humble as, well, I've got to give up all this stuff and I've got to, you know, go to deepest, darkest Africa or wherever to be a missionary and give up everything that I want. And humbling ourselves just means that we place ourselves in the right position under God's authority. Paul talks a lot about also being humble before other people where I'm not building myself up in front of other folks. And I think that's important to remember, too, because I think part of what happens many times in the church is we tend to elevate certain people or certain people elevate themselves over, not God necessarily, but over other people. Well, I'm more spiritual than them. I'm more gifted than them. I'm in a, I have a greater responsibility. And humbly, being humble just means I recognize my position under God's authority, and I don't build myself up other over other humans. You know, we just, before we did this, we were talking about sin a little bit. <clears throat> I mean, there are people who literally don't humble themselves because they don't think their sin's as bad as the person next to them. And I always point out, no, your sin's always going to be worse than mine in my head, but in reality, it's not. And to me, when, when, when Jesus says, or when God writes this, speaking to Solomon, humble your, that's probably the hardest thing for us as humans to do, to really humble ourselves in a godly way, not beating ourselves up and putting ourselves down, but really putting ourselves under God's authority and, and not building ourselves up other, over other people. Yeah, and, and especially when it comes to us going to God, like this verse is talking about, like we're coming to him and we're going to ask for things. When we come humbly, that's that's like a child coming to a parent asking for help, asking for something. When we don't come humbly, we come off like a master telling a servant what to do, you know. And that's that is not that's not going to get you good results with God. That's not going to get you good results no. with most people, um, you know. There, there's a huge difference between asking and demanding, and and a big part of the difference is humility. You know, when I am not humble. And I can come with the same exact request, the same exact thing, but if I'm not humble about it, then it comes off as I'm telling you what to do. I'm telling you, you should do this for me, as opposed to 
coming and asking you to do this for me because I can't do it myself. You know, and that's, that's a huge part of the, the humility thing too, is we have to admit that we can't do this stuff. I can't do this, God, I need your help to do this. And that's, yeah. we don't like admitting that. We don't like throwing that out there and saying, I can't do this on my own. I need help. Um, we're, we're not, the moment we ate that apple, we were saying, we don't want to be geared this way. We don't want anybody's help. I can do it myself. Um, talk about top five things you don't have to teach toddlers how to say. <laughs> I can do it myself. They all figure that one out pretty quick, okay? Yeah. Feeding yeah, themselves, tying their shoes, all kinds of stuff, you know? Um, and every grandparent laughs while they watch their kid get to experience what they've already experienced, <laughs> you know? That it comes, it yes, comes we do. Down, and that's grandparents. <laughs> grandparents all just sit back and laugh while steam rises out of the parents' ears because they're just trying to help their kid do this thing and they don't have 45 minutes to wait for them to tie their shoe or eat this tiny bowl of food that, you know, all of it is just infuriating. No, God, I can do it myself. Smack me on the back of the head every time I do that, um, even though I have wanted to do that to my children plenty of times. Uh, they're 15 and 11, and that still happens. Like, do you want me to help you with that? No. Are you sure? Um, it's over less infuriating things these days. Now they ask for help on stuff that I'm like, no, I'm not doing that <laughs> no, for you. Um, no, I will not do your homework for you. You have to do that yourself. Um, my daughter's so tired lately. She asked me if I'd read a book for her, which is, you know, <laughs> she loves reading, but this is reading for school. And so she's just like, uh, you want to read this book for me? Just tell me what it's about. You're good at that. I'm like, I am good at that. I'm not doing it for you. Um, sorry, not going to happen, you know, but that, that humility in our requests makes all the difference. Oh yeah. It makes all the difference. Yeah. That's why I really get nervous when people start and God, I demand that you do this. You know, that entitlement has kind of seeped into our relationship with God within the church sometimes. Then thirdly, and pray, um, <laughs> we stay in constant communication with God. And you say, is that really possible? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. So I don't think God would tell us to do something that is not we're not capable of doing. I think that the problem is we look at prayer wrongly. We, we, we look at prayer many times as a religious ritual, you know, and almost like a good luck charm. And I get tickled because, you know, I'm on Facebook a lot because I post on Facebook a lot. I have a lot of friends on Facebook, and they're always, please pray about this. And, and, and it's almost like they want everybody to pray, because if everybody prays, God will do it, as opposed to just them praying. And I'm thinking, you know, if we see ourselves as belonging to God, we humble ourselves before him. When you came to me as a child with a request, I mean, if it wasn't just over left field or stupid, I I... I I wanted to grant it because I love you and this is something you need. But yeah, if you come with this demanding tone, no. But if you see prayer is simply, it's a religious ritual that I have to go through to get what I want. I have to say the magic words and I have to, you know, do all the right stuff in my prayer. Prayer is a relationship with God. I mean, Henry Blackaby, uh, who just here recently went to be with Jesus, um, I mean, that's why he talks about experiencing God. It's the relationship with God. We live our lives by staying in continual 
constant connection with God and communicating with him. And we don't have to, it doesn't have to be formal. You know, some of my best prayers have been <laughs> in the heat of a moment where I didn't have time to go, excuse me, we need to be quiet so I can fold my hands, bow my head and shut my eyes and ask God for something. No, it's in a van when we're fixing to go off the side of a mountain where I'm going, God, could you please get this van back onto the road? You know, or I'm in the middle of a, a church situation where there are people who are just being stupid, and I just go, God, please help me in this situation. So, you know, I think that prayer is not magic. And, and people get really upset with me when I hear when they say, well, you know, prayer really works. And I go, no, it doesn't. God works through prayer. But I know a lot of people who pray to things or beings that don't exist and that aren't real, and no, nothing's happening. So it's not prayer works, it's God works through prayer. And he tells us to pray, he encourages us to pray in verses like this and others, so that we stay connected with him. Because John 5, 15, 5, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So if I'm out here trying to do this on my own and just going through a ritualistic kind of prayer thing where I'm rubbing the magic prayer genie so that he'll come down and do something for me. No, that's not going to work. It is the relationship that we have with God. And what keeps that relationship alive and fresh daily is as we communicate. And prayers are two-way street. It's not just me putting out my Christmas list to God. It's me also listening to what he desires to do in my life. Yeah. You know, we <laughs> can you imagine your kid and using a kid's kind of bad example because you see your kid all the time. But let's say it's your grown kid who wants something from you, right? I'm going to come to you and ask for something. Um, but instead of of me and 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 let's just say we don't talk a whole lot, which which we do because we have texting and we do this every week and, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But you know, let's say that's not there in the relationship between a parent and child. So instead of talking to their parent more and develop, you know, staying in that close relationship. And so when something comes up, they can ask, they go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to talk to them much, but when I need something from them, I'm going to ask a bunch of my friends to ask them too. Yeah. That sounds so ludicrous when we put it in human terms. And yet that's exactly what we do with God. Like, God, I know I don't ever talk to you really all that much. And I don't hang out with your people all the time and that stuff. But but when I really need something, didn't you see how many of my friends I told to come ask you for it for me too? Like this, this is insane. Yeah. Um, but when we have that mentality, you know, I mean the the genie in the lamp, the Santa Claus, like we have these these ideas about God that we, when you tell people that's what they're thinking, then they get really offended. Usually, go, I, well, I don't look at your behavior. Which which one is it? Is this someone you have a relationship with? Or is this you're rubbing the magic lamp to get the genie to grant your request? Like, which way are you actually treating God? What's your relationship with him like? You know, because there's there's things like that passage in, in uh, Matthew, somewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where, where Jesus is talking about, like, the people that come to him, Matthew 7, people that come to him and did all this stuff for him. Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? And he's like, uh, I don't know you guys. Go away. You know, like, I didn't know you. You had some religious activity. You maybe threw some words my way, but like, I don't know you. We don't have a relationship. You know, I, you and I both deal with it. Well, you don't deal with it anymore because you're retired. But, you know, as a pastor, there's a, a huge, you, you get lots of, you get requests from people, right? 
you get people that come by the office that want help because you're a church, so you're supposed to help them. And it, <laughs> there is a yeah. world of difference, a world of difference when some stranger off the street comes in, right? One of my favorites is the, I'm going to come to your church once and then and ask for stuff. And if you tell me no, you're never going to see me again. Move. That's, yeah. yeah, I got those a lot. Yes. That always makes me feel very validated if we, if, you know, because usually that's some request I can't help with. Um, you know, there's, there's been all kinds of weird stuff. I, I once got a request. <laughs> they, this family did not want to uh, get uh, immunizations for their kid, apparently, mm-hmm. like for yes. school. And so they asked me if I could write a letter, like from the church saying that that was, and I'm like, well, that's not one of our, like, we don't have that view. That's not part of our theology. You know, I can't just, you know, they, they did the same thing. I had people ask them during COVID, like, yeah. oh no, did not get vaccinated. I'm like, I, I have personal feelings against like all this required vaccination for certain stuff. My wife said, my wife works for the school. She had to at one point, you know, and it was very aggravating. But am I going to come down and say, oh, well, no, religiously. Uh, no, that's not in our belief system. That might be in my, my personal beliefs. But no, I, I can't pull you out a scripture that says this is why you don't have to get vaccinated. I don't. Believe it. And I had people ask me if I would. Can you write me a letter so I don't have to do this? And I had to say no. You yep. know, Um. And, you know, there are people that come all the time and ask for stuff at church. There's a huge difference between the person that I've never met, the person that I've met a couple times, and the person I see all the time that I have a relationship with, that I know, you know, that when, 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 when one of our, what I would really call one of our family members from church needs help with something, oh, we're on it. And, and, yeah. and you put that word out and all kinds of people show up. If, if I just put out, if I send out a text message to a whole bunch of people like, hey, a uh, random person just came by and asked for this. Anybody um, able to do something? I'm not going to get near the response. Why would our relationship with God work any differently than that? Yeah. You know, that all of a sudden we think, well, I know I've just neglected it and haven't, you know, spent any time with him. But I'm going to say the right words in the right way in the right order. And I'm going to, you know, bow my head or close my eyes, which, by the way, is not in the Bible. Um, True. you know, that's, that's just how we teach little kids to pray. So they don't get distracted, which is fine. Not saying we shouldn't do that. Okay. I have one of those at my, he's 11 and we still like do close your eyes, just stop doing. Cause otherwise, if there's any, any other stimuli, he's going to find it. Okay. Um, True. and then his dad messes with his hand while they're holding hands to pray anyway. So it doesn't work anyhow. Cause I'm still a child too. So, um, yep. but yeah, you know, we're just supposed to we're supposed to talk to him and have a relationship with him, like you yes. said. And you know, part of prayer is when he does tell us, then we need to we need to cooperate. You know, it's not just God do this and I'm going to sit yes. back and watch, but it's God, I need help with this, and God brings the help, but we have to cooperate. I had a situation where I had a guy come, call me on the phone. He was disabled, and he needed to move from one house to the next. And I said, okay, so we we set up the date. I let my people know I had 12, 15 people that day show up. We go where he's living. He's not out of bed. He doesn't have anything packed. He doesn't have a trailer to move in. I mean, nothing. And then he's mad at us because we showed up. And so, yeah, I I think a lot of times we don't connect with prayer with because there were times when you would come and you would ask me for something and I would say, yeah, but there were things that you had to do so that we could accomplish that. Okay. 
So if my people call by my name, humble the hills and pray. And then he says, and seek my face. This is my favorite part. Yeah. To seek God's presence. We're willing to seek God's hands, what he can yes. do for us. God, could you do this? Could you do this? But prayer is coming into the presence of God to seek who he is, not just his blessings, but his presence. And in his intervention, when we have gotten ourselves in a bad situation, that's when a lot of people come to God. God, I'm in this situation. I'll never do this again. I promise I'll go to church every Sunday, I'll blah, 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 whatever it is, if you'll just get me out of this situation. I remember being in that situation. When I was, uh, it was the summer between my junior and senior year in high school. And um, my mom and dad had 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 to be gone for the day for something, some medical stuff they had. And they said, we need you to stay home. Don't leave. Which wasn't hard because they didn't have a car at that point. Uh, and they had the only car we had. So I really couldn't go anywhere. You need to mow the yard, blah, blah, blah. So I got the yard mowed real early. Thought, I'm just going to kick back. A couple of my friends came over and said, hey, let's go down the river. Spend the day at the river. And I'm like, oh, I'm not really supposed to. As long as we're back by 5 o'clock because my parents are going to be home between 5.30 and 6. Oh, yeah, we'll be back in plenty of time. I got back at 5.27 because they were out goofing around, and I'm trying to find it, all this. Got poison ivy all over a part of my body that poison ivy should not be on. And then my parents get home. Of course, I'm playing it cool. But then for the next week, I suffered from this poison ivy, which I convinced them came because I mowed the yard and must have run over some and it hit me, you know. <laughs> but the whole time when I'm looking for my friends to get back home before my parents get home, I'm going, God, I'll never do this again. I'll be a good kid. I won't do this. I won't do that. I'll go to church every Sunday, hoping God would come through. That is not what it means here by seeking his face. I think that the only time that that many people talk to God is when they want something. And I was thinking, if the only time you connected with me and talked with me and your mom was when you needed something, we would eventually conclude he really doesn't care about us. He just cares about what we can give him or do for him. We need to seek God's presence so we can just be with him, just hang out with God, just experience God. You know, there are times I... I don't want, I, you know, God, I just want to praise you. I just want to be in your presence. I'm not here to ask you for anything. And I remember a lot of times in our prayer groups, we tend to spend more time asking God for stuff than we do just praising him and, and, and thanking him for the things that he's already done. Because in reality, if God did not do any more for me than he's already done, he's done way beyond anything I deserve. So that seeking of his presence, he doesn't want you just to, to come and throw up prayers. He wants you to seek his presence in your life. Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of made the genie comparison. I know we brought up Santa Claus, but this, this is really the Santa Claus moment. Like yeah. this is not just someone I go sit on their lap and give them my list and say, all right, here's all my stuff. Like, no, like again, it's relationship and we're supposed to seek his face. You know, I love uh, this old greats, uh, late nineties, early two thousands quasi Christian band life, life house um, have this, song called breathing um and it's you know it says i'm hanging on every word you say even if you don't want to speak tonight that's all right with me because i want nothing more than to sit outside your door and listen to you breathing it's where i want to be like they just wanted to be in the presence of god you know i, I think of mary in that story 
that we see in, in Luke of, of Jesus going to Mary and Martha's house mm, and, yes. and Martha's running around getting everything ready. And, and she finally comes out because Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus talk. And she's like, Jesus, could you make her help me? And he's like, she's chosen what's better. Like you're busy doing stuff, but she's chosen what's better. And one of my favorite things is that they never tell us what Jesus is talking about. Like it's not, here's, here's all this great lesson that Jesus was giving. No, the, the only focus is that Mary just wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. He could have been talking about the local sports team for all we know. I mean, like, I don't know what he's talking about. It doesn't, Luke didn't get that part of the story. Nobody, nobody remembered well enough what Jesus was saying to hear like, oh, this great teaching was happening. And so Mary was just mesmerized. But no, she was, she was totally hooked on the fact that it was Jesus not even the words that were coming out. Like she just wanted to be near Jesus, right? That my, uh, my daughter's a brat. Okay. She's 15. Now I can fully, fully say she's the brat. but even when she was little, she knew what she was doing. Okay. And she'd get in trouble for stuff. She had two tricks when she got in trouble. One, she held her bladder until she got in trouble. So she always had to go to the bathroom. Every time that kid ever got sent to her room, I, I have to go to the bathroom now because she wouldn't pee for hours, right? She still uses the skill because she doesn't want to go to the bathroom at, at school. So it's coming handy. But the other thing, she, I just want to be with you. I just need a hug. Like that was always the thing, you know? Um, even even our son would pull that. I just want to be with you. I feel like they don't care what you do. You know, I love when when we get together. People ask, and you probably get more of these questions than I do because you're the grandparents coming to visit. Like, we'll go somewhere, we'll do something, and be like, well, what'd you guys do? And we're like, nothing. Just hung out. We sat on the couch. Um, we're lately, we're trying to educate my parents on the Marvel Cinematic Universe because <laughs> they have gaps missing in their knowledge, people. It's bothering me, okay? They, they, they've, they've skipped stuff, okay? They, and I, I, it bothers me. I'm a completionist. I need the whole thing. I need the whole thing, okay? I've watched all the bad Marvel movies, um, right? I've seen Eternals more than once just to give it a second chance that one you don't have to watch that can be off of the completion list you can skip that one entirely um you know just being with people just being around them not i have to do something you know right um when gary chapman talks about the five love languages like one of them is quality time and quality time is not about what you're doing it's just about being together and that's what seeking god's face is all about it's just yes. being with him yes just being with him and not God, can you do this for me? Do that for me. No, just being together, you know, and church people drive me crazy on this one sometimes because there's a lot of people in church that think that the only time they need to be with other church people is when you're doing something like, what are we doing? We're just being together, guys. Let's just spend some time together, you know, and, and sadly, I think people miss this in their families sometimes too, that sure. just being together is a good, necessary thing that you don't have to be doing something. It doesn't have to be some big event, some trip, some, you know, whatever. Right. Just be together and do nothing. We love to do nothing, right? When, before <laughs> yep. we moved to Roswell, they, they asked, that was one of the questions. When, when you're moving to a smaller town, you know, the church wisely is going to go, so what do you guys like to do for entertainment? Because, you know, if your answer is like, oh, we love to go to like Broadway shows, you know, whatever. Like if you have some, you know, big thing that you're, I know I get to go to Broadway shows. My daughter's in them. Um, didn't know that existed when I moved here. <laughs> as much as I enjoy them, I enjoy them because my kid is in them. And I think they do a pretty good job. 
overall too but it's not as if someone's going to walk into the little theater that we're in and mistake the fact that they're in new york city okay let's just be honest all right you're saying it's not even a pope joy hall kind of thing i could never afford to sit as close to this stage <laughs> to any of those stages as i do to this stage okay the back row in this theater is closer than i will ever be at a broadway <laughs> show if i go to new york sometime okay um because i like both of my kidneys where they are i don't need to sell one so that won't be happening you know but one of the things they asked us you know just to get a feel you know like what do you guys like to do like just and we're like hang out on the couch and watch a movie like we're we're you know we can do this like small town we're good you know we don't need all this stuff to go to. I, I have friends that would die if they had to live in Roswell. They would. They just, they, they could not, they would go nuts, you know, um, which and, is why God didn't tell them to move to Roswell. So, and I live in a smaller town than you. Yeah, I am. Like, I'm still in the big city for my parents to come visit. So, yeah. And, and people ask me all the time with my retirement, are you bored? No, because <laughs> there are things that God has given me to do. And I love to do those things, you know, and they, yeah, they're not big. Good point. Yeah. Uh, this is still the second biggest place of it. I mean, I, I've lived smaller places than this by far. So yes, one down the road and one one way far away that wasn't even a town. So yeah, please, I, that's fine. true. Just fine. Then, and then he says, "And turn from your wicked ways. We must repent. Repent is to do an about face, change the direction you're going." It starts with a change of mind that leads to a change of action, but there are results to it. My, my favorite passage about repentance, Acts 3, verses 19 and 20, where Peter says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. We've made repentance so hard. And when I read particularly the New Testament. I mean, Jesus begins his ministry. John the Baptist began his ministry with the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And repentance is, is basically readjusting your life to where God wants it to be, going in the direction he wants it to go. And we made, we've made repentance so emotional. It's, it's, it's almost like the church has made repentance when, when your life becomes so full of sin, that you can't stand it, then you need to repent. And yeah, then it then becomes an emotional, dramatic thing in your life. But he's saying, turn from your wicked ways. Let that be a continual thing in your life where you, you allow, as David prays, to God examine his life and see if there's anything in him and then help him to make that change. And if we do that on a regular basis, you know, it's like maintaining a car yeah, if you never put new, you know, if you never change the oil in your car, eventually you're going to buy a new engine. Um, but if you change the oil in your car, then it keeps the car running well, and you don't have this these huge problems with it. Same thing with repentance. Yeah, if I let sin build up in my life over a period of years or decades for some people, and then all of a sudden. I realize how bad this is. Yeah, there's a lot of junk that then has to come out of my life. But if I'm looking at my life and allowing God to examine on a regular basis, and then when he shows me, hey, you're going in the wrong direction here. You got a wrong attitude here. You shouldn't be involved in this. Then when I change that, repent of it, it's not a big thing. So repentance is basically a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And it doesn't have to be 
overly dramatic or overly emotional if it's done on a regular basis. Listening, again, goes back to prayer. I listen to God in prayer. When he says, hey, Joe, that was wrong, then I change that direction so I don't move back to where he doesn't want me to be. So, yeah, to me, repentance is something that needs to be a regular part of our lives as believers. Yeah, we, we need to constantly kind of just recalibrate um, where we're going with our lives. I, I love Eugene Peterson, the message in, in this verse in Second Chronicles 7, 14, turn their backs on their wicked ways. Mm-hmm. Like, turn around, go the opposite direction, have nothing to do with it anymore. Like, turn your back on it. Don't even look at it anymore. You know, we... I've used this example plenty of times, so I might have even used it on here. I, I forget, but we we want God to treat us like a dog on a leash because dogs on leashes are trying to get as far away from the person with them as possible. All of their attention is focused away from the person that they're with, you know? Um, and, and God doesn't want to treat us that way because God wants us to turn back to him and be focused on it. I get so jealous. We have a guy who lives down the street. And every once in a while, he'll, he'll be out in the front yard with his dog. He'll be out there working. The dog comes out there with him. And he can, like, throw the ball for the dog. The dog runs around. It always just comes back to him. The dog never, like, wanders off, never looks away. I take my dog for a walk, and it's like water skiing, okay? Like, I'm, like, holding on and the thing, you know. I'm big enough. She can't drag me. Uh, she has literally taken down our kids before on a walk because she just can't contain herself because she's so focused on what's out there. And – our relationship with God doesn't need to be that way. Like we have this amazing, incredible God that if we would turn and look at him and see how amazing he is, we'd never look away. You know, that's, that's the relationship God desires from us. And part of that is yes, we have to stop looking where we are, turn from those wicked ways and look back and go, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to be about. This is where I should be going and stay focused on that direction. You know, Hebrews 12 tells us to keep our eyes on, on Jesus, you know, as we're running this race, that's where we keep our eyes. Don't be, oh, wonder, you know, if you, there's some hilarious videos out there of people looking the wrong way when they're running in, in a race, in a football game, like that, looking around, doing something different, not paying attention to what they're supposed to be paying attention to. And it does not end well. That's why it ends up on YouTube. Okay. Cause it was funny. Um, Cause someone did something stupid. Uh, they're looking over their shoulder and some guy passes them on the other side or something, you know, that, we, we lose focus and we stop looking in the right place, which means we stop going in the right direction too, you know, right. that we're going to follow where we're looking. And so he says, turn your back on your wicked ways. I get so sad sometimes. And, and, and I've been guilty of this too. I think we've probably all been guilty of this at some point in church that we almost look at sin longingly. Like, yes. Oh, I wish I could go over there. Yeah. I wish I could go do that. Like yeah. as if we're on a diet and it's a cheeseburger, like that's, that's the way we look at sin. And that's, that's not it. That doesn't work for dieting so well either, by the way, yeah. longing for all the other food. Um, but it especially doesn't work. With, like we're not supposed to want, we have something better than that. Like it's not that God is being restrictive and saying, no, you can't do this stuff. He's telling us, no, this is a better life for you. This is a better stuff for you. Come yeah. taste and see how good this life can be and follow yeah. me and trust me that this is better than anything over there. And that's, yeah. That's what it means. We, we turn from that. We we look away from that because we don't need it. And, yeah. and we shouldn't want it anymore because yeah. we have something better. Yeah. It's like the guy who shares his testimony. You know, I used to go out drinking and partying and all this stuff. And then I got saved and quit having fun. Uh, yeah. Something wrong with this. Something wrong with this. Something wrong with that. Yeah. Okay. And then 
the last latter part of this prayer is then Solomon says, if if God's people, if you guys will do these things, here's what God says he'll do. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive our, he will forgive their sin. He will heal their land. First John 5, 14 and 15. I can remember the first time I read this verse and it just kind of exploded my mind. Because in it, he says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, meaning Jesus, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. When when we are in the right position in, in relationship and connection with God, and we don't have to be perfect. I mean, thank goodness God never requires perfection from us. He's smarter than that. He, he knows our he knows us. But when we're in that right relationship with him. And we're, we're praying, we're communicating with him, and we're asking according to his will. He hears us, and when God hears us, he then works. He answers those requests. So it's not like we have to convince God to, to answer our prayers. It's we need to put our prayers in, in his will. He's going to hear it, and then he'll, he'll, he'll answer our prayer. And he'll forgive our sin. I mean, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Again, we don't have to beg God to forgive us. I mean, he died on the cross to provide forgiveness. So when I when I acknowledge my sin before him and ask him to forgive me, yeah, he forgives. It's not like, now God, here's why you need to forgive me. He already knows why we need to, he needs to forgive us because we screwed up and this sin is not what he wants. And he's provided the way always. But the last one really, really impacts, I think, the church in America today. He will heal our land. God will bring healing to on the effects of sin in the life of our nation. Two times in the Old Testament, Daniel and Nehemiah both go before God and literally confess the sins of their nation, of their people. We as God's people are the key to God working in our nation to bring spiritual revival and spiritual awakening. We are. Um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, we're entering the time of the year when we elect Ugh. a lot of people to national office, particularly. And I'm tired of being told that this particular person is going to come in and they're going to just change everything and make it like it's supposed to be. No, they're not. No human being can do that. No group of human beings can do that. And the key to seeing spiritual awakening in our nation is not electing the right people. It is the church getting on their knees before God in prayer, turning from their wicked ways, acknowledging that he owns them, wanting his presence and his will done more than anything else. When the church in America does that, we will see spiritual awakening in this nation. But as long as we sit back and are critical of everybody who disagrees with us. And everybody, you know, we were talking in Bible study yesterday about somebody made the statement, well, when somebody doesn't respect or agree with my values, I get mad. And I'm thinking, why? I, I don't get mad when, when, when people who are not believers, particularly, don't agree with my faith or don't agree with my values or what I believe. I don't get angry. I kind of expect it. 
if they're not believers, I don't expect them to agree with me. If they don't know Jesus, I don't know, I don't expect them to agree with me. But I don't see, I don't get angry with them. I see them as a victim. They are being deceived. And my job is to live out the reality of Jesus in my life, to do these various things that that God is telling Solomon his people need to do. And I believe wholeheartedly that when the church in America does this, we will see spiritual awakening in our nation, not because we have the right people in office, but because we have the right God on the throne of our lives. And he can't be on the throne of those who don't know his lives until they surrender themselves to him. So I, this latter part to me, God is saying, here's what you need to be and do. And if you will be that and you will do that, here's what I'll do. And it's a promise. But we've got to fulfill our part of that promise so he can do it. Yeah. And I, I, I love the beginning. I'll just jump out, you know, that he hears us. Like, like being heard by God is such a cool thing that we kind of skip over a lot of time. And, and, and if we stop and let it sink in how cool that is, it, it changes us. But, I, you know, when we get to, you know, forgive your sin, heal the land, I, I see a short-term and a long-term thing there, too. That, like, in the short-term, he's telling Solomon here, like, hey, there's going to be things that happen. You live in a broken world that does not run properly, that is is polluted by sin. So, so droughts and, you know, all these natural things happen because it's broken. It's not working right. And I will, I will take care of that. If you guys come to me and, you know, truly come to me and have, if we have this right relationship, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you what you need. But also there's this future aspect of this that, Hey, I'm going to make all of this right again. Yeah. You know, that, that I'm going to make this the way it's supposed to, I'm going to fix that brokenness that exists because it's not just us that's broken. It's not just human beings that are sinful. Everything is polluted by sin and everything was, you know, Go back to the garden. There were no weeds growing in the garden. There's this lush place where green stuff grows, and there's no weeds. I have no concept of what this looks like, okay? <laughs> like, we got snow two weeks ago here. It was just enough moisture that all the weeds sprouted up out of the dead grass all over town. Everywhere you go, you see little bits of green in the midst of the dead grass. That's what it looks like here, you know? And, and it's especially because after it snowed, it's now been warm, right? Like we went from snow to 80 degrees in like a week and a half span because that's where we live. We will have another cold snap before we're in full bloom again. It will drop down. It'll freeze half the stuff out there and kill it. And we'll get to start the process over. But that lasts like a day and a half. So it'll be fine. My kids will forget to wear jackets that day and be frozen, um, <laughs> as will all of the children at school because half of them will be wearing shorts by then. Because it's been 80 degrees. And, oh, nope, all of a sudden it's 35 degrees today. Welcome to New Mexico. You know, but this perfect place, this perfect existence with no pain, that, that's what God created us to live in with him. That's what God is going to restore us to living in with him. You know, and how does that happen? How do we get to be a part of that? We humble ourselves. We come to him. We have a relationship with him. We build our lives on him. We find our identity in him. And we're going to get to be with him. And no, we, we we might not get to see that the way that we want to see it right here, right now, this second, all the time. Um, but we can hold on to that promise still that, you know what, God's going to make this right. And it's not my job to make everybody else do this. It's my job to do it and to point them towards that and to, to point it out and say, hey, this, this is what we're supposed to live. This, But we do that 
by pointing them towards a relationship with God, not follow all these rules so that we can get this right. You know, because right. all of this stuff that he talks about seeking his face and praying and help, these are all based on relationship. Yes. And so when we have the right relationship with God, then he can do these things. Then he hears us because we have a relationship with him. We have spent time with him. So he can go, you know what? I've paid for your sin. And you, and you trust me that I've paid for your sin. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that, that's something I, I, I'm sure I had this thought before, but it, it hit me a while back. I was preaching through something and, and said it. And it, I could visibly see a few people when I said it, huh? You know, that like any sin that someone commits has already been paid for by Jesus. Anything that anybody does, he already paid for it. When somebody does something wrong to you, when you do, you know, we do that to ourselves even. When when we screw up and do something and we're so ashamed, we're trying to hide it. It's like, God already paid for that. You were yeah. not surprising him. You were not doing anything. He doesn't have to die again. It is already done. It's already paid for. You don't have to hold on to that. And, and that's also true when people do things to us. I don't have to hold on to it because it's already been paid for. You know, God is wanting to do this. There's this yeah. promise of forgiving our sin and healing our this is what God wants to do. Yeah. And the thing that stops him from doing it is we're in the way. <laughs> we're yeah. in the way. Yeah. And when we humble ourselves and get out of his way, this is what he wants to do. And this is what he promises to do. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're on a different insurance thing. When, when you get retired, step Medicare, yeah. you get all these, these goofy insurance things. And your mother works through all of them. I think it's her hobby. But we're on one now where we actually every quarter get $10. And then we can do things like if we exercise so many days a month, we get an extra $10 if we do. So we could potentially each have about $30 per quarter on a little card that we can buy over-the-counter drugs for. Then we don't have to spend our money. Kind of cool. Unless you forget when you're buying the overall, when you're buying the drugs to use the little card. You know, I'm just used to putting a debit card in there and going on, you know. I like you know, and that is that is a mind-blowing thing that our sins that we haven't even committed yet, but then he knows we will commit. He has already paid the price for. But if we don't go to him in that confession, in other words, if I don't pay for those drugs, then I gotta pay for it myself. And I lose, I lose that blessing of having that sin already taken care of. And all I have to do is ask him. And then he's not having to go, oh, okay, I guess I can do it. No, it's already done. I mean, it's already done. We're just asking to make it effective in our lives. So yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, everything's broken. Um, and that's why it's so stupid when we think man can fix what we broke. You know? No, oh, sin, sin came because man, humans, made sin come. We chose sin. So we broke everything, but yet we think that in our intelligence, our wisdom, our resources, we can fix what we broke and have no idea how to fix it when we've got a person who's already fixed it. Yeah, yeah. I think of I think of goat heads. You know, when we lived up in the Northwest, our, our whole backyard was, it wasn't weeds, it wasn't grass, it was goat heads, literally. And I cannot imagine a world where there are no goat heads, but in the garden, there were no goat heads. No goat heads. At least I don't have goat heads here only because I have I have rock in my yeah, yard. You know, vegetation in your yard. No. But we just so. but we still we still have the weeds popping up through the grass. So I guess we have exhausted that passage. Well, you know, after an hour on one passage on one verse, <laughs> I think I think we're pretty good. I think we're pretty good. So uh 
that's uh that's second chronicle 714 so uh, thanks guys well uh we'll be back with concept for you guys next week always the wild card round of our little podcast so <laughs> see you guys then bye